There are fewer than 30 men in the world qualified to drive Formula One. A mere half dozen, perhaps, to win. At this moment, I'm inclined to think you're not one of them. Welcome to F1Weekly.com. My name is Clark Rogers. I'm the host of the program. I'll be joined by Nasser Hamid, my co-host. This is podcast number 1032, the 19th of February, 2024, Nasser. Thank you, sir. I say blues from the Blue Oval. If you want to win, get off in. And Brooke Benton arrives in Daytona. We shall explain gladly. Back to you, Chief. Thank you, Nasser. On today's program, F1Weekly.com launches new website. Thank you, Mr. Toby. Jet dryers are back in the news, crashing into each other. It was glorious. Red Bull and their funky RB20 side pod controversy. What is going on there? Are they mocking Mercedes? And decoy parts spotted on the Mercedes and the fake floor at McLaren. This is the new sandbagging of the future. And indeed, no news is good news, maybe, for Christian Horner. We shall see. And this week's interview, we're very busy once again. This one's straight from Karachi, one of our favorite places in the world. The founder of the Omni Karting Circuit in Karachi, Dr. Oveas Nakvi. Nasser will have all the details, and we also have this month's Rafaela Report, The Color of Money. And just a quick reminder, everybody, yes, we do need your contributions keep to keep this program up on those servers. So just click on the Support F1 Weekly tab. You'll find it right there on the new front page. Everything is easier, bigger, and simpler to find. Nasser Welcome to the studio. How are you? I'm doing very good. Thank you, Mr. Rogers. I understand the F1 Weekly complaint box is valid only on one day of the year, and that day happens to be today, so I would like to put in my complaint to the management. I cannot believe we are recording on a Monday when the Daytona 500 is going on. And just so you know, about 15 minutes ago, I logged on to the TV thingy uh, to watch the race in silence. And I said, well, Clark will call at five local time. So let's hear what's going on. And what do I hear first? Gaussian, big one, two cars in the grass. So that's Daytona 500 for you. But it is an impressive event. It is on silent mode now and I'm watching it. How about you, sir? I am doing the exact same thing. We just saw number 21 get snugged, shugged, and back to the back. Yes, it was a classic caution, only 10 laps in, so I'm proud of my boys at Le NASCAR. Anyway, very exciting. We'll keep the NASCAR in the background, muted, 
But NASA, there's always a lot of big news. I know the anticipation of Formula One tasting is right there in the bottom of your gut. You're thinking Lewis Hamilton is going to be on pole for every race. And maybe Red Bull and those funny side pods might be left in the dust. Well, you know, it's funny side pods, no side pods, and you said fake floor. I think there are some mind games maybe going on here, some photoshopping going on. I don't know. But it will all come out in the wash, in the sands of Bahrain in a few days. And, you know, testing starts day after tomorrow. So, and I think it will be on Sky Sports. So I am eagerly awaiting for that. And so that will be a fantastic. And I will be very surprised if Red Bull does not provide the winning championship winning driver and we all know who that would be but let's just hope there is a lot of competition there is a lot of throat slitting on the track push and shove the usual we see you know, like Dijon Prenois 79 really really looking forward to it there is a ch- good chance if Red Bull does not have a totally uber dominant car we may see first wins for maybe two or three drivers I definitely would like to see the two McLaren Utes Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri get Grand Prix wins. And there is one guy in a green car, Jolly Green Shine. Can't remember his name. I think he's due for a win. What say you? Oh, absolutely. They're green for one reason. And that's the color of money, Nasser. And when you love money and have money, you win, baby. So, yes, I think it's coming. The anticipation. They're going to tease us for a few races. And we're going to get excited. And you know how Alonzo is. If he's on the verge, all of a sudden F1 becomes twice as popular. And we've got 16 races in España. Very good, sir. Very good. So this will be a very exciting season to watch. Unless Max Verstappen outqualifies everyone by 07 and wins the race by 34 seconds over his teammate, and then the bubble will burst. Irrational exuberance will evaporate immediately. But sir, moving on, blues from the Blue Oval. The crusade, at least from the media, against Christian Horner continues. The Telegraph, this is the Dutch newspaper which broke the story, is now being sued by Christian Horner, according to published reports, And my understanding is both the female employee and Christian Horner have taken their case to English courts also. But I really don't know what the truth is. The Dutch newspaper, The Telegraph, they published some claims. And they are saying that they are in possession of messages sent by Christian to the Red Bull lady who filed the complaint with the parent company in Austria. Now, for a newspaper to do this in this day and age, wherein every society... There are more lawyers than 7-Eleven or Aldi or Sainsbury. I'm sure it's the same in the Netherlands. There are more lawyers than more Yumbo markets or Jumbo markets. Uh, one has to be very careful. Now, Horner was present at the launch of the Red Bull car, but the media members were advised no questions about the ongoing investigations. Now, this part is easy to understand. Why create sort of a nasty situation? Pressure is mounting on Red Bull parent company as they are called Red Bull GmbH. And I I don't want to make an attempt what that stands for. As you know, German words are very long to resolve this matter. A-S-A-P. As Joe Pesci asked in the movie, My Cousin Vinny, I have a feeling one of your favorites. Absolutely. 
How do you get mud in the tires? Somebody should tell Oliver Mintzlaff, the new CEO of Red Bull, not to let mud get in the cans. I think this has gone way too long given the serious nature of the allegations and it is time now to bring the case into Park Fermi. Not sure if there will be any winners once the checkered flag falls on this situation. What say you, amigo? Yes, I mean, it's actually dragged on a lot longer than I expected. I thought a quick resolution, guilty or not guilty, and we would be done with it, but it's dragging on into testing now in a couple of days. Ford has said something about, you know what, you better get this done and resolved now, and I agree with Ford. The problem is now it's going into the courts, and I'm afraid the legal system can drag this out for months. So I, I don't see how this is going to be a smooth operation while this is going on at Red Bull. I feel bad for Max. I know Josh is probably going to start screaming and yelling at everybody, and there's going to be deep divisions within the team. There's trouble in River City, Nasser. Never mind pumping any water until your parents are caught with a cistern empty on a Saturday night, and that's trouble. Yes, you got lots and lots of trouble. I'm thinking of the kids in the knickerbocker, shirt tail young ones, peeking in the pool hall window after school. You got trouble, folks, right here in River City. Trouble with a capital T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool. Well, you know, there's a Tweety Bird in Tampa that is saying that uh, there may be a big bopper-style paola involved here, where, according to some reports, Horner, through his attorney, has already offered like close to $800,000, which was rejected. So who knows, there may be a paola and they will do a lovey-dovey. Oh, it was just a misunderstanding and everything is happy and both will continue working. I, I don't know, but we'll just have to wait and see how this thing works out. But, Mr. Rogers, after the loving, when Honda has left, the head of motorsports for incoming engine partner Ford, and this chap name is Mark Rushbrook, he told the Associated Press, and I quote, As a family company and a company that holds itself to very high standards of behavior and integrity, we do expect the same from our partners, end quote. Um, I just hope he was not on a cell phone while driving his Pinto when he said this. You know what I'm saying? That would be a very explosive story. Kaboom. There you go. Now, FOM has finally issued a statement regarding this issue. Now, these are people who really know about, uh, uh, you know, high standards and rules and regulations and taking care of people. So anyway, this is what the FOM statement says, and I quote, We hope that the matter will be clarified at the earliest opportunity after a fair and thorough process. And, uh, and I'm sure they wrote the book on thorough process. And it continues, we have noted Red Bull has instigated an independent investigation into internal allegations at Red Bull Racing. We will not comment further at this time. And, quote. and I think not comment further is really the best a man can do at this time. As you know, the song says, red roses for a blue lady. Red Bull may have a red card for someone when all is said and done time will tell. Question I have, do you think we will have a verdict on this issue uh, before the first race? I think we will because I think the pressure from Ford, from the media, and Christian Horner's wife is going to have this resolved pretty soon. Yes, 
and it will be very sad if it goes against him and he's kicked out. Let's just see what happens. Okay, sir, moving on. As you know, Mr. Rogers, Friday morning, early morning, I will be leaving on a jet plane, and I do know when I'm coming back. I have to say full-time retirement means full-time motor racing, and I am loving it from 4 in the morning till 7 p.m., which are my operating hours these days. And the best part is you need not ask the man for a week vacation with a pretty please. It's your life, and you can do all your talk-talk, anywhere, anytime. And so begins my long-awaited month-long vacation on February 23rd. Would you like to hear what the flying agenda is, sir? Sure, why not? I have nothing else to do now, sir. Okay, welcome to the club. Well, if all goes well, I will land in Stockholm the next day and take the train to a small town called Urebru, which produced a very big talent by the name of Ronnie Peterson, and plan is to meet and record a conversation with his younger brother, Tommy Peterson. He was his mechanic when Ronnie was in karting. And you know this kid uh, from Sweden who's racing here and also won the Indy 500, Marcus Ericsson, he is also from that uh, area. The gentleman, and this is the beauty of the global interweb, the gentleman who has arranged this, Anders, has very kindly offered to take me to meet Tommy. And according to him, if there is not much snow on the road, the Swedish support vehicle will be his McLaren. That will be interesting. This meeting is set for February 26th, which is a Monday, the day of our podcast recording. And so this will be another first for F1 Weekly recording from Ronnie Peterson's hometown. But we'll just have to coordinate the timing. We have already recorded from several uh, countries and several cities, so this will be a new edition. Now, the second stop is also very interesting. This will be in Berlin, where I will be riding the metro to meet Senor Paul Velasco, the man from South Africa, now residing in Berlin. And he runs this website, GrandPrix247.com. And he was a professional photographer um, assigned to take pictures for Marlboro McLaren. We will take a trip to the Avo Circuit, which was home of the 1959 German Grand Prix. The history of this track goes back to the days of Bernd Rosemeyer and Rudolf Caracciola and days of original Silver Arrows long before Toto and his, you know, LCH and Auto Union. So very, very important. This trip to Avosur is as important to me as the trip I took to Reims a few years ago. Then on the agenda is a meeting in Didem with F1 Weekly's Dutch Familia members, Louis and Didi. Then we have a road trip to the full Monty of the Spa Francochamps, the original track layout, including Malmedy and Master King. There is a lot of history here. Maiden wins for Jim Clark and Michael Schumacher. Bruce McLaren and Dan Gurney won here in their own creations, which is very, very impressive. The party will then move to F1 Weekly's European HQ in Milton Keynes where spicy curry and chicken jalfrezi has been a tradition with Mr. Brazier and Dr. Mark. On a lighter note, many this, this is funny now, many days prior to the cage rattling that is going on at Red Bull, I had sent an email requesting an audience with their team principal. Chances of meeting Mr. Horner now are as good as finding Mr. Hoffa. What say you, senor? I think he's buried at the polo grounds, Nasser. Oh, polo ground. Interesting. Okay, sir. Uh, anything else about the preseason before we move on to, into our segment called First Cut is the Deepest? Besides getting my Paps Blue Ribbon 
and a hot dog. No, I just can't wait to see the... And, and we're still not going to see the real McCoy, but obviously the fakery, the fake side pods. Some people are saying that Red Bull is going to go back and teach Mercedes how zero pods does work and is advantageous a la Adrian Newey. But to be honest with you, I think the RB20 is going to look a lot like the RB19 because that dominated. And they're not going to drift away from domination that far. It's going to be back to the same old. But the fun and the intrigue, of course, of the sandbagging that'll be coming up and all the trickery that we saw with the photography was awesome. Yes, and I think I agree with you that they will not make a drastic change because the 19 was so successful. And I think they saw firsthand, up close and personal what happens you may, when you make a drastic change. But uh, we, we will find out very quickly. And they have the resources to bounce back very quickly. Now, one thing I do like about that team, they do take a lot of risk and chances. And most of the time, it works out because I've never seen Red Bull people looking for tires when Max Verstappen is in the pit box. You know what I'm saying? I do know, know what you're saying. And I did watch the Red Bull launch. And I have to admit... The whole point of some of the fake components would have been really hilarious and they would have had a better time. But the constipated look of Christian Horner through this launch really took away the air out of the room. But David Coulthard was there. He drove the first Red Bull. It's been 20 years. That's what they're celebrating. And I think it's awesome. So the whole launch was cool, but the atmosphere was spoiled. So we'll see what happens on testing. Tainted love, as they call it. Okay, so now we uh, come to the segment called First Skirt is the Deepest. We're trying to bring some interesting information while we're in the off-season. Formula One season starts on the first weekend of next month on a Saturday. And some people are complaining about why Saturday. It has happened in the past, you know. Back in the day, South African Grand Prix used to be on Saturdays. Uh, British Grand Prix back in the day when it was at Silverstone one year and next year, Brands said at Silverstone used to be on a Saturday. And if I'm not, if memory serves me correct, when Clay Regazzoni gave Frank Williams his first Grand Prix victory at Silverstone 1979, if I remember correctly, it was on a Saturday. So I thought it would be a good idea to look at drivers who won the opening race of the season, but someone else went on to win that year's championship. The first time it happened, this way was in 1952 when Italian Piero Taruffi won the opening round in Switzerland and his fellow Paisan, Signor Alberto Scari, took the championship, both driving for Commendatore Enzo Ferrari. The 1956 season opener in Buenos Aires was won by Italian driver Luigi Musso, while at the end of the season, Fangio took his fourth championship. Two years later, again in Argentina, Sterling Moss made history by taking first victory for a rear-engine car, Cooper, which was privately entered by Rob Walker's team. And Rob Walker, back in the, I would say, late 70s, uh, has to be late 70s and early 80s, he used to write Grand Prix reports for Road and Track magazine. I don't know if you remember that. I do. You do? Oh, good. But the 1958 championship went to his fellow Englishman, here's looking at you, Mike Hawthorne, for becoming the first British world champion in Casablanca. 
the only time they had the Formula One championship race in Morocco. And lately, you know, there have been some reports that they are trying to get the race back. And just today I heard that the Turkish government or whoever the authorities are there are putting up a tender for the lease of the uh, Turkish Grand Prix track, which is one of the best tracks. And the agenda is whoever wins the tender, they need to make every effort to bring the Turkish Grand Prix back to Istanbul. So let's see what happens. Okay, sir, now we come to the 1960 Argentine Grand Prix, the season opener, and the winner was Bruce McLaren in a Copa Climax. The champion that season was Blackjack from Australia, Mr. Jack Brabham, also driving a Cooper. You know, I met his son, uh, I think it was uh, David Brabham, who I met at Sanford a few years ago, and I told him about meeting his dad, uh, you and I meeting his dad at uh, Laguna Seca. Welcome to F1 Weekly, Jack. Uh, first of all, how are you today? Uh, this is fantastic being here at Laguna Seca today and uh, seeing all these marvelous cars. There are some great Coopers here today. Now, you were instrumental in the development of the rear-engine Cooper and also, obviously, the Brabham, which you had so much success in your own car. With those two successes, what was more gratifying in your lifetime? Yeah, actually, the rear-engine motor car, of course, was developed by Cooper, really, and myself. And uh, it was fantastic to come here and see so many of them here this weekend. I don't know where they all come from, but there's uh, dozens of them here. And they all look as good as the day they were built. <laughs> That's great. Are you enjoying yourself when you see all these Coopers? What kind of memories come back? Yeah, uh, always have a fantastic time when we come here. And... Uh, uh, last time I was here, I actually done a bit of driving as well, and uh, this time, of course, it's just marvelous to see all the Cooper cars. The 1961 season opener was in Monaco, and this victory is regarded as the finest by Sterling Moss as he held up a trio of faster Ferrari cars behind him. The season finale ended in tragedy and victory in the championship for man from Santa Monica, Mr. Phil Hill. First, and to this day the only American-born Formula One world champion. The 1963 season started also in Monaco, and the race was won by defending world champion Damon's daddy, Graham Hill. At the end of the season, Jim Clark took the first of his two championships, and Jim Clark was driving nothing but Lotus. The 1964 season started in Monte Carlo, and once again Graham Hill won the race. And once again, we had a British world champion, but this time it was motorcycle legend John Surtees. The 1966 Monaco Grand Prix was won by Jackie Stewart, and Jack Brabham took the championship in his own car. An incredible achievement. The 1967 season started in South Africa, and the race was won by a Maserati-powered Cooper driven by Pedro Rodriguez. Denny Holm from New Zealand was the world champion that year driving for Jack Brabham. The 1968 season started again in South Africa and saw the 25th and final Grand Prix win for Jim Clark. At the end of the season, his Lotus teammate Graham Hill held the honors for the team and took the title. I think I don't need to mention what happened at Hockenheim Ring that season. The first race of the 1970 season was the final victory in the glorious career of Jack Brabham. This was in South Africa and champion that season posthumously was Jochen Rindt, a Lotus driver. The first race of the 1971 season, also in South Africa, saw the first Grand Prix win for Mario Andretti in a Ferrari. 
Jackie Stewart won the championship. Stewart won the season opener in Argentina in 1972, but at the end of the season, we had our first world champion from Brazil, Mr. Emerson Fittiparli. According to M.O., his victory in the 1973 season opener in Buenos Aires, Argentina, was his best win as he hunted down Francois Sever to win the race. End of season saw Jackie Stewart take his third and final championship and walk away from the sport alive and well and very rich. So all good for him. The 1974 season opener, the 19, that will be the Argentine Grand Prix, saw the final win for Kiwi Danny Hall. Emerson Fittipaldi took the second and final championship at the end of the season in Watkins Glen. And I remember this race very well. What happened is he and Clay Ragazzoni won into the season finale on equal points. Clay had some problem in the car and then after Emo finished fourth and he said and there was only points for top six and Emerson made a comment that once he found out Clay was out, out he just drove at ease, you know, to get fourth place and win the championship. And I remember Sterling Moss was very unhappy and made some comments about Emma saying that because, according to him, a racing driver should always try to win the race. But, you know, Mr. Fangio used to say, best thing to do is win at the slowest possible. So, to each his own, I say. Okay, sir, 1975, Fittipaldi wins the season opener in Argentina and Nicky Lauda takes his first championship with Ferrari. Ferrari won the first three races of the following season, 1976, Lauda winning the first two and Clay Ragazzoni winning the inaugural Long Beach Grand Prix. This Grand Prix in Long Beach really made the big news when it first started because at that time, I think U.S. was the only country to have two races and this was promoted as the U.S. Grand Prix West, so which was very cool. After Nicky's accident at the Nürburgring, McLaren driver James Hunt was in a rush and took the championship from Nicky in the season finale, which was serious rainy night at Fujiyama Circuit. 1977. Team owned by Canadian oilman Walter Wolf gushes to victory in their Grand Prix debut in Argentina. The car was designed by Dr. Harry Postlewhite and piloted by Chili Schechter from South Africa and Lauda was the world champion in a red car, his second of three championships. Jacques Lafitte, your fellow Francais, driving a Ligier, won the opening two races of the season in 1979, and Schecter became the first driver from the African continent to take the title, driving for Scuderia Ferrari. Any thoughts on any of these great wins, drivers, champions, teams, whatever? Awesome stuff, Nass. I mean, it's history oozing out of your pores. I just listen and have a good time, you know. Reach for the merguez and the hot dog. There you go. Okay, so shall we take a break now? And since Daytona is going on, it has to be a PBR break. Indeed, it's a PBR break. It's lap 57, Nasser. So why don't we take a quick break, and we'll be back after these brief messages. Imagine for a moment that you're in the gay 90s. Headed for an evening at the best spot in town. Bartenders, three more blue ribbons. Imagine you're here to enjoy the great premium beer of the day, Pabst Blue Ribbon. More Pabst. Pabst was brewed for people who really liked beer. Three more blue ribbons. 
bartender. This was the time Pabst was the beer. And now that you've imagined what the gay 90s were like, you know what our beer is all about. Good old-time flavor. Original Pabst Blue Ribbon beer is still brewed today the old-time premium way by the first of the great Milwaukee brewers. Hi, this is Mika Hatkinen, double Formula One world champion. All the best for the readers, F1 Weekly. Morjesta, täällä on Mika Häkkinen, kaksinkertainen maailmanmestari Formula 1 Ja toivotan teille hyviä lukuhetkiä, F1 Weekly. Welcome back to F1Weekly.com. Clark Rogers here, your host. And now, as we spin the globe and go around the world with Motorsports Mondial, with the king, the sultan himself, Nasser Hamid. Thank you, sir. Let's go to a lady from Curitiba, Brazil, Miss Rafaela, in her segment. And I would like to thank her very much for taking the time to record this for us. And hopefully our listeners will enjoy this interesting piece she has for us today. Obrigado. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Half a Report. Today, I'm going to talk about the color of money. Visa Cash App RB. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that is the name of a Grand Prix team on the grid this season. The recent rebranding of AlphaTauri has created quite a reaction among racing aficionados. Some are wondering what the commentators will call cars, while others are wondering what's next. Racing cars proudly display signs saying powered by Mercedes, powered by Honda, the teams and the FOM are powered by money. As Roger Pensk once told his driver, Rusty Wallace, if we don't have a sponsor on Saturday, we don't race on Sunday. It's simple as that. It all started in the late 60s when Lotus team owner Colin Chapman picked up the London Yellow Pages and sent letters to various companies, inviting them to be part in the Grand Prix Global Circus. In those days, most of the races were in Europe, but there were Grand Prix events in North America and South Africa. Imperial Tobacco responded, and soon their Gold Leaf brand appeared on Team Lotus. The rest is history. Corporate sponsorship has been a smoking success in the world of Formula One. Today, sporting events do not allow for tobacco advertising. There was a time when it was banned only in a few countries, and in such cases, the creative minds in Formula One came up with cute ideas. McLaren sponsor West became East in markets where tobacco advertising was not allowed. Benson and Hedges on Jordan team became Bainey and Hisses. Sponsorship in Formula One has been seen from penthouse to petroleum companies, from Argentine beef to Brazilian coffee and sugar. The Netflix effect has the attention of corporate America now. We've seen Formula One names from Chrome to CrowdStrike. Visa's charge to the pinnacle of motor racing will sooner or later attract other financial companies. American Express already has a partnership with Formula One. And Formula One's global audience cannot be matched by any other sporting event on an annual basis. Only Olympics and World Cup football are bigger. For those who are wondering what's next, let me guess, Ken and Barbie go Grand Prix racing. Thank you so much for listening. Rafaela, thanks for joining F1Weekly.com. The check's in the mail. Back to you, Nasser. Yes, sir. A rainy night in Daytona. 
Boogity boogity, let's go racing on Monday, boys. And it is happening as we record this. The great American race, as per the NASCAR slogan, I have to say, they, NASCAR has the leg up on IndyCar racing, but the Daytona 500 is chicken wings compared to the 500 at the Brickyard. Late race cautions and overtime are nothing new in the world of National Association of Stock Car Automobile Racing. And you said we're up to like lap 55. I've already seen one caution and a big one. So let's see what else uh, will happen. And But I have to say, man, the last 10 laps of this race, I'm sure there will be a caution and a replay and a restart and whatever they do. At one time, they used to have checkers or wreckers. But the last 10 laps, no matter what you call them, they are very, very exciting. And man, I'm going to tell you, this is from personal experience being at the Indy 500. You have to be there one day to watch the last 10 laps of the Indy 500. There's nothing like in this world in terms of intensity. Okay. And if you have to catch the Greyhound from California to the Hoosier State, so be it. So when are you coming to Indy for the 500, sir? Very soon, Nasser, as soon as my spinal operation is infused into my body. Okay, well, hopefully sooner the better. Okay, sir, now there was some motor sports action, which is what I really like, you know, because of the sport has become so global. If you want to win, hire a fin. A chap by the name of Tuka Tapunen is the 2024 Formula Regional Middle East Champion. This is the latest flying fin from the land of Thousand Lakes. He is already a member of the Ferrari Travel Academy, and I had a brief chat with him at Monza last June at a Formula 4 race. He is definitely a young man in a hurry. And you must have seen, if you ever see a pilot who's flying a F-16 or a Tomcat, the way they walk and every move they make, you can just tell by their persona that this guy must be a racing driver, I mean racing driver or a fighter pilot. And that's what I have noticed about certain drivers. And that's what I felt about Tuka at Monza last year. Over the weekend, he took his fifth win from 15 races and was second in four other races. So that's a pretty good performance. He scored 255 points compared to 176 for Taylor Bernard from England. He, uh, Bernard also took five wins and finished second in the championship. All races were, they were like back-to-back -back weekends, you know. All races were held at the Yas Marina Circuit and Dubai Autodrome. And of course, everything available on YouTube. You know, over the weekend, I also saw some Argentine touring car action live on YouTube. So YouTube has been very good for me. Okay, tall and slim New Yorker Ugo Ugochukwu did not win a race. He finished seventh in the standings with 105 points. He is under the wings of Zach Brown in the McLaren Driver Development Program, and we did an interview with him last year. Okay, now the support series was UAE Formula 4. Here the title was taken by young English driver Freddie Slater, and both Freddie Slater and Tuka Tapunen were making a very good name for themselves in, and Taylor Bernard also in karting, and of course Ugo Ugochukwu also. But in that group, the kid that has really kept going like a energizer bunny on steroids is this Italian Kimi, Kimi Antonelli, Andrea Kimi Antonelli, who is part of the Wolfpack program at Mercedes, and they are putting him in Formula 2. And uh, they are already talking about him being as the, you know, the next Max or the next Senna. 
but we will see how it goes. And of course, we wish everybody all the best. Sir, are you ready for our feature interview of the week? I am. I love the interviews. This one's an outstanding one from far, far, far away. Yes, sir. Feature interview of the week today. We have my home slice from Karachi, Dr. Uwais Nakhwi. And I met him uh, through a mutual friend, Zahid, some years ago. And at that time, Dr. Uwais told me, I have a dream. He has now turned his dream into reality in the form of Omni Karting Circuit in Karachi, which is a very large and impressive um, karting facility. My thanks to Dr. Nakhvi for his time and also to Mohammad Rauda for arranging this. Hope our listeners enjoy this conversation. Thank you. Okay, folks, today, all the way from Karachi, we have Dr. Uwais Nakhvi on the show. Dr. Uwais, welcome to the crazy world of F1 Weekly. How are you today, sir? Thank you, Nasser. Thank you for having us here. It's a pleasure and I'm doing well. Before we talk about your Omni karting track in Karachi, tell us how you got the racing bug, where, especially in a country where cricket is the big and only show. Right. Well, Nasser, the bug for racing just was something that was there from when I was a child, a very young kid. I remember my father bringing a small Formula car, you know, the, the dinkies and the remote control versions of uh, Formula One cars. At that time, I did not know what these were. I just knew that they were really cool looking racing cars. And uh, it started there. And I guess as I grew up and I learned what Formula racing is and what racing is about and F1. So then, you know, started following it on TV and then uh, got an opportunity to start with go-karting at a very late age uh, in my mid to late 20s when I first did karting for the first time. And that was 20 years ago. So you can imagine that, you know, that's how it has started and gone. And where was it that you started karting? So I started karting in Karachi in Pakistan, funnily enough, not outside Pakistan. A long time ago, I think in 2004, which is exactly 20 years ago to this month, uh, was when this first karting track was built in Pakistan. It was, uh, it was in fact called the first karting center. And I participated in a 12 hour race for the first time to just start ever sitting in a go-kart. And that's how it, it's, it commenced. And then I used to go to this track almost every week, once a week to do karting for fun and just taught myself and improved over time. Uh, so that's, that's where the whole journey started. And I understand you have done some racing yourself from UAE to USA? Yes. So after I started karting at, uh, in, in Karachi, then I wanted to pursue a career in trying to become a Formula race car driver. That was always a dream, but realistically, I never really thought of doing anything in it until a racing series called A1GP. And you'll remember, Nasser, I'm sure you remember really well, A1GP was launched and it was meant to rival F1 with the concept of it being the World Cup of Motorsports with nation-based teams as opposed to factory-based or uh, sponsored branded uh, teams. And so there was a Team Pakistan in, in that series in A1GP. And it was a global series, very high level, F2 level cars. And so I aspired from that position to a basic amateur at karting with just rental karting experience. I thought that, hey, this is an opportunity to become the best in Pakistan and try and represent Pakistan in A1GP and get on that team. So and then the journey started with taking, you know, uh, I mean, 
we can I could go on and, and how the journey started where I took a team to Dubai for the 24 hour race karting race again because that's the closest venue and it's also the cheapest for us to go but the level of competition and the track there is very high very high quality so uh, you know uh, in trying to become a race car driver that was then the first step to go abroad and get some experience now going back even gp i was actually at the very first race in september 2005 at brands hatch and of course i know the franchise holder uh, he's also from karachi mr arif hussain did you ever get to do any testing with them uh so no i never got to do any testing i focused on getting eligible for getting the license so so the next step after after going to dubai and racing in some basic the endurance karting the next step was to actually go to a racing school so i went to the formula bmw school of racing in spain which was done at the ricardo tormo circuit in valencia and i took part in that uh, school that was a beginners uh, three day school and after that i went to bahrain at sakhir uh at the bahrain international circuit uh, and i took part in again the formula bmw advanced racing course which was again a three day course after doing the two courses i then got an international c racing license which is the first uh, step the first license that you require and from there again the next step was to get an international b racing license uh, which was the requirement for a1 gp and so i focused on a couple of racing series which would allow me to get those credentials but at the lowest cost and quickest way possible so i did uh, a couple of races in something called formula thunder which was a formula 4 car formula 4 chassis uh, you know that was being used in bahrain at that time and it was called formula thunder arabia and i did a couple of races there one race weekend and then i went to the us a few months later and i did a uh, skip barber race weekend um at the virginia international raceway and again because each race weekend has multiple races you are able to gain the number of uh, eligibility criteria to get the b license so when i completed these things this is back in 2008 we're talking i got the international b license and i was then i informed the team i was in touch with a1 team pakistan and uh, mr asim and 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 the rest of the people and immediately they wanted a local home grown driver because we'd never had one before previously they'd been using expatriate drivers from the US or the UK so they signed me up and they took me on board however this was 2008 and you might recall in august 2008 when the global financial crisis happened so the funding for the team which was coming from the series owners that was uh, stopped and the team said that look we need you to bring 4 million dollars of sponsorship from pakistan in order or a franchise owner in order for the team to then uh, stay stay functional otherwise unfortunately there won't be a team pakistan anymore yeah money is always an issue okay now we met a few years ago through our mutual friend zahid and at that time you told me you were in planning stages of your track so what is the update now Yes Nasser it's been a while it's good to speak to you and uh, we've we've always been in touch and absolutely uh, in fact funnily enough spoke to Zahid a couple of weeks ago but the stage of the track now is the track has been fully functional uh, for the past 2 years we opened for members we did a soft opening in January 22 and we we wanted to keep the footfall light in order to understand our own capability and enhance our capability with time So initially 6 7 months we were only a members only facility that allowed us to refine our processes and complete some missing elements and also understand 
things that work, things that don't work. Then in September 22, we opened the track for public for anyone to come, members plus non-members. And since then, we have been open throughout the last year and a half. And, uh, you know, we're, we're open for everybody to come. And, you know, slowly we've also developed the facility. I still say it's a work in progress because our pit complex, uh, which houses the media center, the pit garages, the briefing room, uh, our race control, um, the briefing hall, the members lounge, all those elements are part of the pit complex, which is under construction. But the track is fully functional, so so we're doing well. Now, you were using French Sudi cards. Uh, what age groups uh, you have cards for? So we've got three types of cards, starting with the kids or the junior. Uh, we, we only use Sodi card. Uh, we feel it's the best top-of-the-line brand, and, and we have a really good relationship with them. So we use their LR4 Sodi card for children aged 7 to 14. And then we have the Sodi RT8. Sorry, by the way, the LR4 has a has 120cc engine, which is the smallest capacity engine that you can put on the kids' card. Then we have the Sodi RT8, which is for adults, which is for 15 and above. And that has a 390cc engine, so it takes you to a top speed of 80 kph. And those are the standard uh, rental adult cards. And then we have a higher performance model, which is for members only. And that is the Sodi RX250 which has a four-stroke 28-horsepower engine, and that does about 120 kph top speed. Uh, so those are very fast cards, and so those are the three types that we use. And if I may ask, between the first two groups of cards you mentioned, how many units you have? So we have 17 cards uh, for, the, for the junior cards, the kids' cards. We have 27 of the standard RT8 adult cards, and we have 12 RX250 cards. And in terms of um, spare parts and if you need something, engine rebuilds, uh, where do you go? So everything, uh, pretty much 90% of all of our parts, they come from directly from the Sony factory in France. In fact, right now, carding is paused because the factory is running a backlog and our order has been pending for the last three weeks and we're hoping to receive those parts very soon in order to get the carts up and running. So that's a little bit of a challenge, but we hope to, to overcome that in a few cycles once our cash flow allows. And then there are very few things that we get locally that are appropriate and good quality or standard quality. So, for example, spark plugs. We have NGK spark plugs that are available in the market, so we don't import those. We buy them from the market and air filters and things like that. But but most of the all the other engine components, the exhaust, the transmission, the chain, the sprocket, the brake items, the bodywork, the wheel and axle items, steering uh, items, all of those things come from uh, Sodi in France. One thing that we do do locally is that engines, when we need to replace an engine, uh, once it's run its end of life, then we buy brand new engines from the local market, brand new Honda engines, which again are imported by, uh, by distributors here and they're used in various purposes, you know that. So then we, we buy those locally. Tires are all imported directly from the factory in Taiwan. So we, we have, we ordered a container load the last time so that we would not have to order them very frequently. So right now that's, we've got a, a good year's worth of supply right now. Okay, good. Are there any plans to develop the local market so you can build the tires there and other things? Some of the things that you're importing can be done locally? Nasser, I don't think so. I mean, the suggestion has been floated and considered, but 
uh, you know, for a vendor to do that for us here would be a very big task. And I think it would take a lot of energy and time and the result probably not be there. And, and looking at how other operators around the world operate, you know, in other countries, they don't locally source. I mean, if something needs to come from, let's say, Taiwan, then it comes from there and, and so on and so forth. So I don't think we would go down that road. We also looked at a few things like getting chains locally that are made in China and imported to Pakistan, but the quality was not sufficient and the performance dropped and we don't, we don't want to risk diluting the, the quality of the product or damaging the, the carts and their components. So. Okay. I know your project has received very good media coverage in the local market. What age group is your biggest market? So our biggest age group is between 20 and 35. That is the core demographic that we are catering to. Slowly, the under 20s are getting into it. Kids, families are bringing their kids. But the kids, we tried to run competitions for children for the ages below 14. And it was very difficult to fill the slots and get people to sign up. So that's something which we need to work on, create more awareness, do some more marketing and, and run programs and stuff, which encourage people to bring their children but we focus more on the core that's coming right now because that gives us the footfalls so um so yeah so the 20 to 35 has been the the really sweet spot of the demographic coming to us right now there are carting facilities i believe in lahore and islamabad also how far are we from a properly organized national carting championship in pakistan so there are there are facilities, one in Lahore, one in, uh, I, I think, actually one in Islamabad, two in Lahore. Uh, there's been a new one that's opened up recently. Uh, so one of the ones in, in Lahore is is a good facility. It's called 2F2F, and they have one in Lahore, Islamabad as well, and that's a good facility, good-sized track. They also use Sodi cards. The others, I'm not so sure what their standard is. Uh, I, I don't think they're up to 2F2F standards. I think the challenge with the national uh, championship would be, you know, the standardization of things and having different operators operate with different levels of uh, ways of management and operation, different types of cards, different fleets, and lack of standardization. So I think that might be difficult. But what we are planning at Omni is initially our plans were to open and scale in different cities. So we were planning on opening five more tracks, one in Lahore, one in Islamabad, one in Sialkot, one in Peshawar, one in Multan and Baislabad. But we've put those plans on hold right now because the economy, the way it's going, the cost of building a track at Omni level, at, at the Omni OKC level now is four times. And the challenge, Nasser, is that we charge 3000 rupees. Uh, which is $10, just $10 for a 15-minute session of carding. That is probably one-fifth, one-sixth the price of what it would cost to do a session of 15 minutes carding anywhere else in the world, which is around $50, $60 uh, for a 15-minute session, U.S. dollars. So that's the challenge that, you know, we cannot, if we build a new facility, it's going to cost four times and you can't charge for even close to four times then the return on investment doesn't work. Sorry, to come back to your question. So so we're planning a national level championship, but focus purely at Omni Carding Circuit in Karachi. Okay. Now, speaking of money, they say speed costs money. How fast you want to go? What has been the response of big corporations for sponsorship of racing activities at your track? Look, to be fair and to be very honest, 
we haven't yet gone out and approached the big corporations. The reason for that is because we've been building our own capacity and, and refining our processes because I feel before you go and start selling yourself to people, you need to be sure that you're going to deliver a top quality product. And I, we haven't felt ready to do that. So last year, for the first time, we started racing at Omni and we ran a four round championship, which was supposed to be eight rounds. But again, because of logistical challenges with parts and things, it was, it was changed. Uh, but we learned a lot. Now this year, we are now we're preparing to approach sponsors, but in order to approach sponsors, we have a race calendar and we're working on first getting the media partners on board. And once we get media partners on board and we have a whole media plan, how to promote the championship, how to put it on air, what you're going to get on digital and radio and TV and things like that. Then with the whole package in place, we intend on approaching the corporates and, and then potential sponsors, bring them on board. A few have approached us but we have not engaged with them for this very reason that we want to do our homework and have a proper pitch and proper uh, details ready to lay in front of them and really then convince them with the value they would get for getting in. Okay. Your track has many configurations. Uh, tell us about the different layouts and which one is the most commonly used. So right now, Nasser, we've used what we call the GP layout, which is the main layout. It's 1.6 kilometers. The track has, like you said, many, many possibilities, especially when you factor in running it counterclockwise as well. Right now, we've only used two layouts, which is one was the GP layout, and the other layout was, it was it was a very fast layout. We don't have a name for it, but we tried it out for a while, but it was causing a lot of accidents. And a lot of people, because it was a very fast layout, so we we changed uh, from that to the GP, which people have gotten used to. But we intend on we intend on doing a marketing strategy, which I think is good for business, where every quarter we would have a different layout. And so for three months in the year, we can give people uh, the opportunity to experience a different layout, which is good from a business point of view. And then three months, it's a different layout, and that way, it's a new circuit for people to come and experience every three months and given the number of configurations possible it would take us 10 years to go through every possible layout even more perhaps here at f1 weekly we take pride in giving free advice uh, to people if they're interested i have a perfect name for the slow configuration of the track you can call it the latifi layout <laughs> okay okay I have that book. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for enjoying my humor. I appreciate of that. Of course. Yeah. Okay. No, no. Daytime weather in Karachi is very hot and humid. Do you organize yeah. activities mostly under the lights? Most of the time. So our operating times, uh, Nasser, are from 3 p.m. till 2 a.m. And Karachi is called the city of lights and, and everybody starts things late. So what we do see is traffic starts from about really 5 o'clock onwards. And then, you know, 7 onwards really it's quite busy and, and very packed uh, throughout the weekdays as well as the weekends. The difference is, is that on weekends, Saturdays and Sundays, we see a lot of families coming in and bringing the kids. So what we've done is because kids don't come that much after 8 p.m. and we have adults there, so we don't want to block the track uh, with two or three carts of just children running. So we've kept the junior carts timings between 3 and 7.30 to encourage the children to come in those times and fill in that low volume time. And then 7.30 onwards, we try to only cater to the adults. Now, you mentioned you arranged a championship, and if you have uh, some sort of a series or a, uh, like a number of races going on for different age groups, 
how many drivers you normally see per race in each class? So this was interesting. You know, we, we, this is the learning we got. Um, we had created multiple categories in order to, because we have one fleet and we've got to use it for arrive and drive and racing. So the challenge, you know, in racing, you have to standardize the, the vehicles, the machines. Otherwise, it's no fun and it's not fair. So that poses a challenge that we want to maximize the revenue and the participation. In order to do that, we created multiple categories based on. So, for example, we had a senior category, which was for drivers aged 15 to 24. Then we had a master category, which was 25 to 44. Then we have a grand. We had a grand master category, which was for 45 and above. We had a ladies only category and we had a heavyweight category for drivers uh, 100 kg and above. And then we had an Ironman category, which was a one hour, anyone 15 and above, one hour nonstop uh, race. But we, and we prepared 15 of the carts out of 27 for this in order to keep 12 carts for arrive and drive purposes. But what we saw was that we would struggle at times to fill the categories, even with just trying to get 15 drivers in each category. And that is because you know, we need to develop a culture of racing here. There were some people with, you know, we got feedback where some people who come regularly would be hesitant to race because they would be like, we're not ready and we're not good enough. And some of the top drivers will beat us. And so you see that mental block or that way of thinking needs to change where people need to understand that you have to compete in order to get better. And if you don't take the plunge, it's like they say, if they're not going to push you in the deep end, you're never going to start. So that is a challenge, again, we're dealing with, and, and we've come up with a new format uh, for, for this year, 2024 championship. Now, this week, uh, you are taking a team to the Dubai Endurance Championship. Can you give us some info on this series and what kind of uh, cards will be used in terms of brands? So, you know, the Dubai Kartrome is, again, one of the premier karting tracks in the world. It's something which we have uh, it's been inspired from including the other Gulf circuits, which are very top quality premium circuits in the world in Bahrain and Alain and Al-Fursan and, uh, you know, uh, in Abu Dhabi and all those. Now, the Dubai Cardroom has run a very prominent uh, championship for the last 20 years called the Dubai Endurance Karting Championship. It's something that I have taken a team in five times previously, twice in 2006, once in 2011, once in 2013. And then once in December 22, when after OKC had just opened, and now we're taking it after a year and a half of having practice time and learning time. This championship is a four-round championship. Round one is uh, February 24th. Round two is April 20th. And then round three and four are in October and December. The December final round is always a 24-hours one. The other ones are 12-hour rounds. And usually they have up to 30 to 40 teams taking part from all over the world, Europe, Asia, Middle East, Gulf. So so it's going to be a high-level competition. At times, Fernando Alonso has brought a team down. Um, I think a couple of years ago, once or twice, he brought a team with Pedro de la Rosa and himself racing, which is which is which just tells you the caliber of the, the, the racing and the quality of the facility. They also use Sodi carts. They use the same Sodi RT8 model with the 390cc engine. And their track is a 1.2-kilometer circuit. You know, so they also have a multi-layout capability, and the layout they're using is called the Lynx layout right now. And uh, what kind of results are you expecting for your team, given the caliber of drivers and teams you just mentioned? So we have selected the top four drivers. Uh, so I run, Nasser, I'll tell you, I, I kind of manage, a, um, you know, a database of drivers based on my own observation and 
because I drive with them and I'm the oldest one of the group. I mean, I'm uh, 46 years old here. I still am very competitive. I mean, as in I like to be, so I keep myself racing because of these, some of these young guys and to teach them and make them improve. So based on my observation, both in, in their timesheets and also racing with them on the track, I we have a core group of five, six uh, drivers out of everybody that, that we see here. And we have selected the top four to come for this event, for this race. And perhaps to be, but the, the vision is for these four to be part of the team for the entire year. And we hope to try to go, you know, three, the, the remaining three rounds as well and, and let these four learn. Now, the premise here is that when these four go and compete with such high caliber drivers, whatever they learn, whatever experience and exposure they get, they will bring it back to the Omni karting circuit. And then the drivers that did not get to go, the local ones that are racing locally at OKC, will learn or aspire to reach our level. So if they reach our level and we are trying to reach the international level, then it's a, it's a cumulative growth. That's what we're aiming for. I do believe we can perform well. Our aim is at least a top 15 finish. So again, to give you a little context, they have the overall category, they have a Nations Cup category, and they have a corporate category. We are racing in all three categories. And we're hoping overall to try to f target a top 15 finish. If we can do a top 10 finish, that would be fantastic. And in the Nations Cup and in the Corporate Cup, we're definitely targeting a top 10 in both those categories. Uh, in the corporate, we could perhaps even do top five because there's less teams that are corporate. Then there's less teams that are purely nation. And then overall is the most competitive because everybody's in the overall. So I would say top 15 overall, top 10 uh, nations and top five corporate. That is those are our benchmarks. And is your team planning to com compete in all four rounds? We are planning on competing, uh, competing in all four rounds. Uh, right now, the team is purely an Omni racing and Omni funded team. Uh, we're bearing all the costs for the drivers and the team. But we're hoping that once we showcase the potential and a, a decent performance and we get some traction, then perhaps we can secure some sponsors uh, for the team for the future rounds. Otherwise, Omni will do its very best to try and take the team again and again for this entire year. Now, finally, what is the long-term plan for your project and prospects of karting in Pakistan? So, you know, in Pakistan, based on what's happened with the economy, it's I, I will not mince words. I'll say it's very tough to now build a new circuit of this level. Uh, you know, it's a 1.6-kilometer circuit. It's top 10 biggest karting tracks in the world. We've got flood lighting that is unmatched or unparalleled by even the Gulf tracks. And, and you know, we've, that I can assure you. And then the carts also are, are equal and top of the line. The problem is the cost. So we, as a company, had plans on scaling in Pakistan, which we put on the back burner. However, we are focusing as a brand and as a company on other markets that we feel are developed economies that that are not doing this in the right way and that there's a market to develop uh, premium level carding circuits in, in developed economies where there is a demand and also purchasing power. So that's the pivot that our company, our brand Omni is looking at 
taking and doing things. In Pakistan, we will continue to run this facility and do the best and take it forward and grow the, the sport. And Omni Racing will provide that platform for drivers from Pakistan. Anyone can come and race in our racing championships. And if they create a name for themselves, if they grow, if they become good drivers, then they will get taken on board onto Omni Racing and get the opportunity to go internationally and, and do stuff. So just to give you an example, we have a driver with us. Uh, his name is Sanan Jamali. He's one of our top drivers. And he only started karting one year ago. Now, he's also, you know, he's also in his early 30s. In fact, he's turning 30 this year. So he's 1994. And he, only a year ago, he started karting for the first time. And only at OKC uh, has he done karting. And he has reached a level where he's amongst the top and, and, you know, now going for his first race. So that's, that is the potential, the opportunity and the platform. Great. I wish you all, wish you and your team all the best. And uh, once you're there and you have time, send me some photos, please. All right, Nasser. Thank you so much. And again, a pleasure to speak to you after such a long time. Thank you for all your support. You've always been very kind. And, and I wish you and F1 Weekly keep up all the great work. We follow you. We listen to you guys. And I wish you the best. Hope to see you sometime soon, either in the States or at, at OKC, Nasser. Your visit is long overdue. That is true. And thank you so much. And feeling is very mutual. Dr. Nakvi, thanks for joining F1 weekly.com back to you nas yes sir now we come to famous last words and we can always count on dr helmut marco for a doozy now this is from an interview he did with an austrian outlet oe24 the good doctor was asked about his opinion on toto wolf saying not too long ago that he was so close to hamilton that no piece of paper would fit between the two Dr. Marco, I understand, reads Wikipedia, and he responded by saying, but a Ferrari contract Ford. So, Dr. Marco is a, has a funny bone. He is a funny man. Very, very hilarious, but we need a little laughter over at Red Bull. I just feel it right now. It's so tense. Yeah, it is tense, and you just don't know which way it will go. Uh, somebody's going to look very good. Somebody's going to look very bad, and that's not very good for the sport, you know especially this kind of stuff, and especially with happening with a gentleman who has been the only team principal since this team started 20 years ago. And it will be it will be a crying shame if it really goes down the way the media is uh, saying. I completely agree. I mean, it's sad, but sometimes the power that these people gain in a team and in a company, and they keep winning, and they think that they're omnipotent, and they could go on forever. <sighs> it's scary when that power is tested because sometimes the little people win. So my fingers are crossed. You know, I'll tell you some years ago when Zach Brown was not in uh, team principal, when he was running his Uber successful company, Just Marketing, they had to let go of an, uh, like a senior executive at the company. And man, I remember reading this. He was accused of sending over hundreds of messages, text messages a day to his ex-wife. I mean, talk about harassment. So, you know, even the boys will be boys, long story short, unfortunately. Yes, let's hope that everything ends well for both parties. On that note, Nas, we have testing in a couple of days. Your quick prediction on Lewis Hamilton in the W15. I have a feeling it will be better than last year, car, but he will still be seeing the rear wing of uh, 
Max's car and Sergio Perez's car, which he may be able to overhaul in a few races. But um, I would be surprised if, you know, to me, a car being competitive, a car that's within 0.2, you know, it becomes a little on the gray side. But I'll be surprised if they are within 0.2 second of uh, Red Bull. I do expect uh, some better performance from Ferrari also. And Aston Martin started gung-ho last year and then they were not so gung-ho um i'm hope i would love to see uh, two or three different race winners this season who have not won a race in a few years and that would mean you know uh, our man alonso and piastri and lewis has not won a race in two years also it's going to be exciting the big news really for me is who is going to be as competitive as their talk and aston martin has been talking a lot and not only that Will Mercedes keep Lewis in the dark in terms of technology, secrets, and what have you, knowing that he may be sharing a lot of interesting things with Ferrari next season? There's a lot of nuance in the air. It's going to be different. It's going to be exciting, except for one thing. When Max shows up, then it's all going to be done, and everybody's going to say, Buenos dias, Max. ¿Cómo está? You know, I'll tell you, um, I have... uh... Here, uh, Joe Ramirez's book, and somewhere in his book, he writes about uh, Michael Andretti and Mika Hakkinen testing in 1993. And I think at Silverstone it was. It was a three-day McLaren test, if I remember correctly, the days. And the fr- it was going to be Michael and Mika first two days, and Senna was going to join them the third day. There was no, like, rain interruption or anything, so Mika and Michael tested all day, uh, first two days. And he said on the third, third day, Senna showed up and he said like within two or three laps, he went faster than both of them. Th- that's what Max is going to do, unfortunately. I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know. But uh, I don't want him to have a huge gap where we don't have any competition. But as long as the best man is winning, we don't care. I agree. I think Max is on fire. He's not going to be stopped until 2026. So let's just enjoy the ride. And enjoy, enjoy the last laps of the Daytona 500. Well, we're still, uh, I don't know, three hours away from the final laps, uh, which, of course, I'm going to enjoy. But I will say one thing um, about Lewis Carl Hamilton. If they gave him a very competitive car, there's no question in her mind, he can do what Alonso did. Alonso announced uh, at the beginning of the, or maybe before the 2006 year, that he will be... uh, leaving Renault, and he still won the world championship. The LCH can do that, and Max can do that too when he's leaving, um, if he's leaving. But I, you know, looking forward, with all that's going on at Red Bull and Ford coming in, nothing against Ford or anybody, and, you know, Red Bull building their own power plant, I just don't think Red Bull is the place to be too, because you got to have, you know, when I started following racing, and I used to read in Grand Prix books and magazine, it's 50-50, 50% car, 50% driver. I think now it's like 80% car, maybe even more. But that 20% difference can be made by a Max or a Lewis or a Alonso or a Schumacher or a Senna. So um, we'll have to see, you know, how the how competitive the package is and the new regulations who will get it very right. But just have a feeling because, you know, it's like expecting Audi to win the champ- driver's championship in uh, 2026. Uh, that's not going to happen. And I think Ford is in the same boat. What say you? Well, Ford heard what Christian Horner did to Renault. I mean, after bringing four world championships, they were thrown under the bus faster than you could shake a stick. 
Ford doesn't want to be part of that. It's going to be tough because you're right. There's going to be development moments, development time, development years. And the Blue Oval, I know coming out of the box and winning off the bat is exciting, but it doesn't happen very often, ladies and gentlemen. So you're right. That's why Max is going to leave right in time. And we're going to go see the merry-go-round and people will retire. People will stay. And the Blue Oval, I don't know. If Christian Horner is guilty, do the, does the Blue Oval all of a sudden say, I'm out of here? I, it's going to be intriguing. The next few weeks are going to be exciting, Nasser. I want you to take your Geritol and your, um, what do they call that in Pakistan? Mango Lassi. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And you know, one thing I heard, I saw today that among the names to be at uh, Mercedes replacing LCH, I was surprised that... Um, Esteban Ocon's name would not surprise me because I think he's still under contract to Mercedes or Total Wolf's management empire. But the name mentioned was um, Pierre Gasly. Very bizarre. And Intoto did meet with Flavio. That's very true. I mean, I'm the same way. Me and Flavio were brethren. It would be nice if I can get in touch with uh, Flavio and do an interview with him. I would really like that. It's, it's going to happen, Nasser. I'm going to send him a text. Anyway, Nas, I think we, we've got a caution right now. So this is a good time to end it and move along. That's true. So lap 70, ladies and gentlemen, we're doing pretty good. We got a Camry as a pace car. It doesn't get more American than that. I want you to lift your hot dog in the right hand, lift your Paps Blue Ribbon in the left hand, and say, howdy. You guys have a great night. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>